0: Good morning, church. Jesus is alive. The title of my message this morning is Deficiency, Despair, and Death. What an exciting title for an Easter morning. (laughs) But there is actually good news here. And the good news is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ deals with all of these. The resurrection of Jesus Christ deals with our deficiencies. It deals with our despair and the resurrection of Jesus Christ deals with our deaths. I want us to be clear this morning on what we mean when we say the resurrection what we mean is that a certain, in a certain moment of history, God draped himself in humanity. That the son of God was born of a virgin and came and dwelt among us. And that he was beaten, mocked, scourged, rejected, nailed to a cross that the son of God who draped himself in humanity died in our place on the cross that we might live forever through the forgiveness of sins. And that three days later, though he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And not figuratively, not spiritually, but literally and physically in glory, Jesus rose from the dead. And for 40 days after that, he taught and explained the kingdom of God. And during that time, he commissioned and sent his church into the world on mission for his glory. He then ascended unto heaven where he is currently seated at the right hand of God in glory, awaiting another moment in history when he will return to make all things brand new and judge the earth. This is what we mean when we say the resurrection. Now the problem with that last part, that he is coming again to judge the earth, is that we have deficiencies. Humanity has deficiencies. You have, I have deficiencies. A deficiency is a failing, a shortcoming, something that causes us to be insufficient or inadequate. Another word for deficiency is the Bible word, sin. The Bible is very clear that we are all deficient, have deficiencies, that we all sin and are sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God and sin, the Bible says. The problem with that is God is going to judge sin. He is. Somehow humanity knows this intuitively. There is a sense within us that there must be some sort of judgment. At least we hope so, because we want to see some justice met out in the world. And at least we hope so, because there's certain people that we want to see judged. It's never us, but there is this this thing in us that says there must be some sort of judgment that's coming. The reason that we have that in us is because we also have in us this sense that there are some standards, some expectations that God has. The reason that judgment then makes us nervous is because we realize we're deficient, that we don't measure up, that God has standards and expectations and we don't measure up to them. And that makes us uncomfortable. We we don't like to be told we don't measure up. We don't enjoy that. Some of you have been very hurt by that in your lives because you were deficient in someone's eyes in some way and so they dealt with you according to your deficiencies. They told you or they treated you as if you didn't measure up. And for some of you that's caused some deep wounding to be in that place of I don't I don't measure up. I don't meet the expectations. So we don't like to be told that. We also don't like to have standards and expectations imposed upon us. I mean we really don't. I hate speed limits. All of them. I hate codes and procedures and rules and all those things. Many of us right now are struggling with the fact of how much we hate the tax code. We don't like to have these things imposed upon us. And for humanity, we especially don't like the idea of a God who makes absolute standards and has universal expectations and imposes them upon us. Because with with any sense of humility and sobriety, with any sort of investigation, we realize that we are indeed then deficient concerning God's standards and expectations. And, And then there is that expectancy to be judged. And some of humanity says it's not fair... That God has expectations of me. I didn't ask Him to make me. (laughs) It's not fair that He has expectations of me. But wait a minute. You have expectations of people, you have expectations of almost everybody. You have expectations of your spouses, you have expectations of your kids. You have expectations of your family, of your friends. You have expectations of your boyfriends and your girlfriends. You have expectations of your employers and of your employees. You have certain expectations of the person driving on the highway next to you. You have expectations of waiters and waitresses, of actors and rock stars. You have expectations of almost everybody. So much so, in fact, that if there's somebody that you don't have... Expectations of it means that you think very little or nothing of them at all. You don't have expectations of them because they're not worth you worrying about. They're not worth you expecting anything from them. You think nothing of them. But God thinks something of you. God thinks much of you. God loves you. Therefore, God has expectations of you. We understand that. But here's what's different between God and us. Because God thinks much of you and loves you, he's not willing to abandon you in your deficiencies. You see, we we do this all the time. We we abandon people because of their deficiencies, don't we? We get to some relational difficulty. They didn't meet our expectations. And we come to a point where we're like, you know what? No, I'm done with you. Uh, that, that's it, I'm, I'm over it, I'm out of here. We abandon people and their deficiencies all the time. There are certain others because of our love for them where we're, we're willing to overlook a whole bunch of deficiencies. Like your husband or your wife. Man, if you're going to make it, you got to be willing to overlook some deficiencies, you know what I mean? Your kids, it's actually insane the deficiencies that parents will overlook in their kids. Like, oh, my sweet baby. And the school principal's like, your child is Satan. What are you talking about? (laughs) No, not my baby. (laughs) But if we're at all honest, in most of our relationships, there are certain deficiencies, even in the people that we love most, that make us think from time to time, gosh, I wish I could just remake you just a little bit, just kind of refashion you in this area a little bit. We think that from time to time. You're almost perfect. If I could just remake you a little. Hold on to that idea of remaking. So there are standards and expectations that God has, rules that God has. And we can understand this. We may not like them, But we could understand this because we have standards and expectations and rules. And for us to then not let or not want God to have them would make us hypocrites. But it's not that God is simply rule-oriented. We shouldn't think of God as a cop who, you know, just wants to bust you all the time. And it's a rule-oriented thing. The thing we need to realize about God is that God is radically relationally oriented. So much so that the Bible portrays him as father, lover best friend. He is radically relationally oriented. But in addition to that, God is radically other. The Bible word for that is holy. God is holy. And so, God is radically offended by our deficiencies, by our sin. In fact, God is so holy that we move beyond deficiency, we move beyond sin as humanity into wickedness, perversion, being absolutely wrong. In juxtaposition, in comparison to who God is in his holiness, his otherness, we are totally wrong. Wicked, perverted. And God is offended by this. Why shouldn't he be? We're offended by people all the time. Aren't we? We, You do that. Oh, you're gross. I'm offended by you. We're offended by all sorts of people and their deficiencies and our standards aren't even nearly as high as God's. And yet there are these things that is humanity we're all commonly offended by. What about the Hitlers? What about the Osamas? What about the Dahmers? What about the killers, the rapists and the child molesters? What about the genocide? What about racial cleansing? What about governmental oppression? We are deeply and radically offended by these sorts of things. And we hate them. And rightly so. What about other things that we hate, that we see, that we're offended by, that are caused by sin, though we don't normally think of them in those terms? Things like cancer, hate cancer. I'm not saying that someone has, sin, has cancer because they, they sinned, but all sickness and death entered into the world because of the sin and rebellion of humanity. So there are these things that we are offended by and opposed to that are the result of sin that we don't often think of them that way. Cancer, disasters, horrific accidents, senseless suffering, And these things, the Hitlers and the Osamas, genocide, human trafficking, molestation and maiming, cancer and disasters, they are all around us and it causes humanity to despair. Despair is something that's common to all people. If you have not deeply despaired yet in your life, you are young. You haven't lived long enough. Jesus said, a very sobering statement, being very honest, the Lord said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, he said. But in this world, you're going to have trouble because of the deficiencies, the sin, the wickedness, the rebellion. Its results in the world are destructive. They cause us to despair when we see their implications. Some of them are just so painful. From human trafficking to cancer, they're so painful. My five-year-old daughter, Daisy Love, was diagnosed with stage three cancer this year. There's something in every person that looks at a five-year-old innocent little girl and says, that's not okay. That is not right. We despair at those sorts of things. And when we see these things, if we're at all feeling, they, they, they cause us to long for a day when those sort of wrong things will be made right. They cause us to want a reversal to come. When everything that has gone wrong is finally set right, we want a reversal of despair, which is hope. We want the expectation of something good. Yet in this lifetime, there are situations that are so bad, they cause us to say, I wish I could just redo that. Anybody ever felt that way? I wish I could just do that over. I wish I could reverse that. I wish I could make it right. Hold on to that. These deficiencies, our sin and our wickedness, lead to despair, our troubles and destruction in the world. And they ultimately both together result in death. Death is a result of humanity rebelling against God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we have earned in our rebellion against God is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But in this life, when we experience death, and we all do and we all will, we realize that it is a cruel and ruthless enemy. Death is an enemy. It's presented in the Bible as an enemy. And it is unnatural. This is why death is so hard for us. This is why we can barely handle it because it is unnatural. Because it is common doesn't mean it is natural. Understand, we were made to live. We were created by God to live. We were not created to die. But death entered him when humanity rebelled against God. And so it is unnatural. And it is an enemy. And it is cruel. And it is ruthless. It brings separation from everyone and everything that we love. Dear friend of mine, John Geyer, just died a few weeks ago who's my age and suffering from a cancerous brain tumor for several years, left behind a five-year-old son of whom I am the Godfather and a beautiful wife. And as I'm mourning with them and, and walking with them through their mourning, I am reminded of how cruel and ruthless death is. It was He was too young. It was too soon. It was too costly. It's too painful. It's too unfair that this boy should live without his father. Death is always horrible. This is why Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. It wasn't because he missed him. He would raise him up in two minutes. But it was God feeling sorrow at the pain and the destruction and the despair that death brings to humanity. God identifying with us in that brokenness that death brings and Jesus wept. Death is always horrible. For this reason, every culture during every time period has feared death and has searched for ways to escape death. It causes all of humanity to say at all times, I wish I could live Forever, I wish we could all together live forever. Hold on to that third wish concerning then deficiencies, despair, and death. I've shared with you these three wish statements that are common to all humanity. The first was, I wish I could just remake you a little bit. Be honest, there's certain people we want to remake. Maybe we should turn it on ourselves. Maybe you guys are too pious for that. Maybe we should turn on ourselves. I wish I could remake myself. Does anybody ever feel that way? We do. The second wish was, I wish I could do that over. I wish I could make that right. I wish I could reverse that. And the third, which I just shared was, I wish we could all together live forever. And what the resurrection of Jesus Christ does for humanity is it gives us a remake, a redo, a do-over. It brings a reversal and it makes right everything that has ever gone wrong. And it's not a temporary, a leaving of our despair, but it is a permanent forever removal of everything that has ever gone wrong. Amen. You see, at the cross, Jesus dealt with our deficiencies. He paid the price we could never pay. Died so that we would not have to in our sins. He lived up to the expectations and the standard of God because we can't. And so he frees us from the standard and the expectations of God. They were all met in Jesus. And he frees us from the judgment because Jesus took the judgment of God in our place for us because of love on the cross that we might live in freedom from fear of judgment. Not viewed anymore according to our failures and our deficiencies, but according to the righteousness of Jesus who gives us his own because he took our place on the cross. The cross deals with our deficiencies. And the resurrection deals with our despair because we know that Christ is risen and said he would come again. We know he is. And we know that he is coming to judge the earth. And so that future reality brings us present comfort because we know that the Hitlers, the traffickers, the oppressors will be dealt with. Justice will be met. God is just. Everything that's gone wrong will be made Right? And death is dealt with. The resurrection of Jesus Christ simply tells us that death does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word. The grave could not hold him down. And his resurrection is a foretaste and a picture and a promise of the own resurrection that is promised to us. When we come to him. What the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ do is they bring newness. Behold, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. All things have been made brand new. The power and the penalty of deficiencies are broken. We're not identified by failures anymore. We're not ruled by or enslaved by those things anymore. And what the resurrection tells us is that we, humanity, will not always have to suffer under, be marred by, and tormented by the effects and the implications of our own wickedness. Because there's coming a day of reversals. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them. Listen, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. He is making all things new. There is coming this day of remaking, redoing, and reversing. And it's a permanent reversal. And it has present implications in our life. We can live differently because we know God is going to deal with that difficulty. So we're not ruled by that anymore. We're freed because Christ is risen. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. My goodness, if the world knew that. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He said. He said again in John 5, truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, lives forever, and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. That fear common in humanity of judgment, because we all know intuitively that there is some standard, we're set free from that. When we believe in Jesus, his death and his resurrection, We know that we will not come into judgment. We have victory over death and we've moved into life. And what makes this possible is the risen Lord King Jesus. In his death, he conquered sin. In his resurrection, he conquered death so that all of humanity will be able to say together... In the future, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We will all say together that death doesn't rule us anymore because Christ has conquered over it. He has removed our deficiencies. He has dealt with our despair and he has defanged death. Christ has done all of this. That's why we're here today. Christ has done all of this. He died. He rose from the dead. He's ruling and reigning and he's coming again. All that we need to do is repent. We need to be willing to say, okay, God, you're right and I'm wrong. You're holy and I'm wicked. We need to confess that and repent that. We must do that. There is no experience of this new life and this resurrection and this freedom from judgment, this reversal of despair and this victory over death unless you repent of your sins. The Apostle Paul said, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he appointed, that is Jesus having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. His resurrection from the dead proves his identity, proves that he's the one that frees us from the power and the penalty of sin, who's gonna reverse all despair and sorrow and who gives us eternal life. What do you have that is better than that? What is it you believe or you're clinging to or you're hoping in that is better than a Jesus who dies for you and is raised from the dead, exists in glory and is coming again to make everything brand new. What do you have that is better than that? If you haven't repented of your sins for real, not I'm sorry, your kids do that. Sorry, no you're not. (laughs) Not I'm sorry, but a deep repentance where you truly have come to believe and you've said to God in your heart, God, I am wrong and you are right. I am wicked and you are holy. Save me. If you haven't done that, you must do that today. It is appointed unto every man to die once and then the judgment comes. You never know when you'll die. You must repent of your sins today. All you do is cry out on God. In your heart, say, God, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm wrong, I repent, forgive me, save me, I believe in you. And he'll do that. What do you have that's better than that? What is keeping you from that? And Christians, let me speak to you. What is keeping you from the joy of the Lord? If anybody should be filled with joy, it should be us. It should be us. We've been freed from the penalty and the power of sin. All of our despairs and our sorrows will pale in comparison to the glory that we shall see when we're with the Lord. And death will not hold us down. We will be resurrected to eternal life. If this does not have present implications in your life, you need to repent and get right and start enjoying Jesus. This is not a new set of instructions, this is good news. Christ has done this for you. God, we thank you for this wonderful truth. We ask together, if anyone is is in this room that has never repented, that you would give them the grace to repent today, that they would call upon you and be saved. You would flood their lives with grace, Lord, flood them with a sense of approval, love, acceptance, forgiveness, renewal. Wash them white as snow, Lord. Make all things brand new. If you make a decision for Jesus' day, I want you to know that during the next few songs and at the end of the service, there'll be men and women up here who will pray for you, talk with you, help you in any possible way, give you a Bible if you don't have a Bible. If you're a Christian and you want to celebrate in communion, it's up here. Come and remember the crucified and risen Lord. And and listen, if you've never gotten on your face before this Jesus, if that's just not your thing, maybe this Easter, you get outside of your thing and come and get on your face before the Lord. I know there's not enough room, but let's do a pig pile for Jesus up here. If you've never gotten on your face before a holy God and worshiped him with every fiber of your being, I'm telling you, it's worth doing. Do it today. He's risen. He's alive. He's more beautiful than we ever imagined. Everyone needs compassion Love that's never failed, Let mercy fall